Welcome to Music and Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Moshe Lewis, and I'm ecstatic, delighted, and so looking forward to this interview with Victor Orlando. I know all of you all know, but I just have to say some of the accolades because the list is just almost too long to go over. Grammy nominated. He has worked with Bobby Womack, Chaka Khan. He's a percussionist for um, the Gap Band. And he's had so many hits and done so many wonderful projects with amazing people, including Billy Preston. And the list continues on. Victor, we are so delighted to have you tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate having me on your show. Sure. Well, we have a lot to get into in music and medicine here, and we're literally going to spend some time in both realms. So starting with the music, which is obviously our love and your first love, how did you get started? Who were some of your key inspirations and, and just how did that all unfold for you? Well, actually, um, back in 66, when the Beatles came over, I just was blown away, just like everybody else. And uh, but every other black person, every other black kid wasn't. I was. And I didn't know why I enjoyed that music or music like that. I was already into music per se, but I just enjoyed that music. And then I went on to high school and wanted to play football, but I got hit one time. Said, I don't want to play football. I want to do something else. <laughs> I want to go hit something. So the drum was the next thing to hit. Plus, it kept me on the football field, which is what I guess really was my first, first love. But it kept me on the football field at halftime with the band in school, marching on, on the field. So that was the early, early beginnings. And it all evolved into listening to different kinds of music, mostly rock, mostly rock bands. And I, what did it? What sealed the deal, what was it for me, was Woodstock. Mm. It came out in 69. And I went to see Woodstock. I got oh, to see wow. Jimi Hendrix, Sly Stone. I mean, I didn't go to the concert. I went to the theater when it came out. Okay. But I saw Jimmy, Sly Stone, Joe Cocker. And then this little group out of San Francisco came on called Santana. And it's like, that's it. Gorilla glue the situation. That's <laughs> me. And then to see the percussion up front, because mostly in jazz, I was playing jazz before that, but mostly in jazz or in any other music, the conga player pretty much would be in the back, in the back. And to see this group with them right up front, I was like, oh, that's even better. That's me. And from that point, I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to play percussion. I want to be up front. I want to play Latin music and I want to do my life. But in Dallas, they didn't have that as my plan for me, for my life. Family, mother, father, aunt, uncle, grandfather. No, that wasn't their plan. Right. So we had this big, this big thing. And I'm like, you know what? I got to do me. Uh, I, I didn't know it was a calling. I didn't know it was an anointing. I didn't know it was a, I didn't know what it was and what it was gonna be. I just knew, let me loose, I gotta do this. Exactly, this is what I love. I wanna unpack that a little bit because now you've had so much time to be introspective. What about it in particular about The Rock? Because so many of us that certainly lived through that time or have had a chance to appreciate sort of the British invasion as they called it, 
um, might say superficially, oh, okay, it's because it has that percussion, because it has that beat. But what do you think uh, sort of attracted you uh, to uh, that, that form of music before you transitioned into jazz? Some kind of way, well, I was into jazz and I was, that was just avant-garde and expressive and that was cool. But I would look at the Elton Johns, the Jethro Tulls, the Grand Funk Railroads, uh, the Joe Cockers, and they played with energy. So I, they were all over the stage. And then they were played, they played in costumes. There was no t-shirt and a pair of jeans and going up and playing. They, they, they went over the top. Elton John, Alice Cooper, over the top in the outfits. So that, that, that hit my mind. And then I, was, I turned into being a designer because my parents did clothes at the time also. And I would put stuff together in my head, put it on some clothes and then do the gig that night. Me and the band would walk up to, up on Jefferson to the, the piece store because you get pieces of material in there mm -hmm. and you just get it and sew it onto your clothes to any kind of way you could. Sure. And then you'd go to, go to the club and play in an outfit and something that you know didn't come from Neiman Market, it didn't come from Saks, Neiman's, or none of the stores, it came from your head. Right. And But I'm watching Elton and, and, and Alice Cooper and all of them have that. I even did the glasses like Elton. Wow. I just took the rhinestones and the Elm and the Elm's glue. Wow, oh my gosh, exactly. <laughs> they have gorillas back then. Yeah, there's a little white Elm's glue. Come on, let me get that. Okay, now, now it looks okay. Glasses, Jimi Hendrix scarves, just anything eccentric and wild and avant-garde on stage like the guys I saw. Mm. And then I added their energy and then I added my plan. And that's what I'm like, okay, that's the direction I'm, I wanna go in. Hadn't seen that in the black acts as of yet per se. Right, and that's so insightful because there's an interesting parallel here. So you were really drawn to the fact that percussions, especially in Santana's group, were front and center. You wanted to be front and center. And if that weren't enough, you really wanted to draw even more attention than might be obvious to really sort of elevate literally the look um, and the feel of it. Do you sense that uh, some of that came from this uh, feeling overall that up until then, uh, percussion hadn't really taken center stage? Um, and, and really getting sort of that beat a lot more prominent, which certainly goes through our, our veins and often is a fiber of our being and a lot of our music um, really needed to have more prominence. And, and you just felt like, hey, I'm the one I'm going to uh, also uh, bring it front and center. Yeah, I, I, it, it wasn't an ego thing. Sure. It was a, an expressive, I got to express and I can't express it back there. So after seeing Santana, I'm like, Okay, I no longer have to worry about expressing it back there. Uh, I want to be upfront. I want you, whoever I play with, put me somewhere other than back there. And once different groups, after I started playing, saw what I did, they nudged me to the front, with the exception of the groups that said, "Ooh, that's too much. Uh, put him in the back. He's he's too much. He's he's doing too much." <laughs> <laughs> 
What might be an early song or sound one that you love or, or maybe um, we're involved with uh, creating that we uh, could take a listen to that kind of really helps exemplify maybe sort of the earlier um, Victor Orlando before you joined uh, the, the mega group? Oh, I mean, just from listening to Black Magic Woman mm-hmm. and then that, that was another thing. You didn't get percussion solos in songs per se. And Black Magic Woman had a kunga solo and a timbali solo in the songs. I'm like, wow, up front, and they getting let you getting you letting you play on the songs where you could what what you're doing is not just a side element. It's a it's a part of. And I'm like, I'm liking this ingredient. This is a this is a cool ingredient, but everybody didn't adhere to that. You know, a lot of the acts was like, you congress, you're in the back, you be quiet, you play. Like okay, I'll do this and bide my time, cause I I didn't think about it. I didn't even know, but one day I was gonna have my own group, and no one would ever tell me what to look like, or dress like, or tell me where to be. And but I didn't know what road I was gonna have to travel to get to that Victor Orlando. But watching all of those groups, Sly Stone, he didn't have percussion per se, but he had the outfits. Right and. Earth, Wind, and Fire, and I was drawn to, okay, they are successful. That's a key element to it. Wear outfits. Don't ever be afraid or ashamed to wear outfits because these cats are making it doing that. Well, take it a step further. Make your own outfits, meaning I designed them in my head, thought up the creativity, drew the pictures, and took it to somebody to sew it. I put it on and performed in it. And it, as in Elton John and uh, Marilyn Manson or Alice Cooper, my outfits just kept getting wilder and wilder. I just I just kept adding on to it because you never saw a percussionist be take that look on percussion up front. You never none of the percussionists that I love, all of my Latin percussionists, give them a shark skin suit and one of them little hats or a shark skin suit and a tie. And they're playing, and that's them. Right. The black percussionists give me the '60s dashiki look, and 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 that look, and the New York look. That's all they did. But nobody went outside outside of the genre of being safe. Right. I was like, I'm not trying to be safe, and I'm not trying to be pretty. I'm just trying to be happy, express myself, and have fun on both sides of the coin, the look and the playing. I love that. Um, your big break comes along. Tell us about how that happened. So you felt like, okay, I've definitely arrived. This group loves me for my individuality. And, and I know I can do and deliver the kind of music that I was born to create. Um, when I first came to Los Angeles, I came from Dallas, finally had graduated, was wearing the outfits when I played. And I came to LA and first club I went to, I walked to it from my cousin's house in regular clothes, some jeans, a t-shirt or whatever, went in. The band was killing. Funk, old school, they were like, they were based, the whole, I'm like, this is what I want. This is the band I want to play with. That's the sound. Right. They just regular looking, but that's the sound. I asked, could I sit in? And they said, yes. I went back to my aunt's house and I suited up 
in an outfit. And I came back and it was like, because that's that's the only look you could give. I I put it this way. I had a yellow shirt with white fringes and sly stone glasses, Elton John glasses and sly stone boots Mm. to sit in for a couple of songs. Because that's the only way I knew how to go on a stage. I didn't know, get your drums and just sit over in the corner and tip, 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 tip. I didn't know that. So that was like, and and they allowed it. They let it. They loved it. They encouraged it. They didn't discourage it. And I'm like, okay, this is the band I want to be in. And that's kind of one of the bands that I started out being in. Sure. And what was that name of the band, just so that we know for... It, uh, it was Tony Davis and Patty Williams. Um, uh, 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 she was the singer they would call out as a featured, and Tony had the band, which were comprised of a bunch of punk guys. That were, and I still am friends with all of those people. The guys have gone on to do other things and been in other groups and stuff also. But that at that time, that nucleus was those young guys playing that music. And from that group uh, was the bass player that actually put me in the group Ozone from Motown okay. that played behind Tina Marie, uh, Smokey, uh, wh- whoever was on the Motown label that was kind of the band that played behind a lot of those people. Right. But the bass player from that was, it, he went on from, from uh, Tony's group and ended up you know, going on to do ozone. So a relationship of people and moving forward kept me in the loop. Sure. And then how did the Gap Band come to you and vice versa, you get to actually be part of that group? In Dallas, where I'm from and grew up, there was a duo, Caven, uh, uh, Caven and Lois and Kevin Yarbrough and Lois Peoples. And Kevin was in my class, a classmate, but we were all doing music at the same club in the city. And later they they called Yarbrough and Peoples. And later they came to LA and I came to LA on two different boats and we're both doing our thing, doing our thing. And Robert Goody Whitfield was also another member from Dallas that was doing what we were, we were all in that little niche. And I phone call, hey Vic, wanna go out on tour with us? Yeah, oh cool. My homeboys, my homegirls, they calling and asking me to go on tour. I said, what's up? We going out with Yarbrough and People's Goody and Gap Band. Okay, I like that, I wanna go. And it was when I was out with them that Charlie was like, I want you. And I said, I want to play. And they said, we want you to play. So I was playing with all three groups on the same tour. Wow. So set this up for us because we're going to do a tribute because you don't get to hear that name that often. Um, What's your favorite Yarborough People's song? And just tell us why. And then we'll take a listen. Oh, well, just uh, um, Don't Stop the Music, which was the, the Grammy hit. You know, and to know that my classmates wrote that, and and I didn't, they had done all of that before I had gotten with them, so I didn't get to play on the song or play on in on the session or any of that. But that's what they were touring and playing of that song. But that was really amazing to know that that song was one of the ones that 
I was out there with them when we when we all started growing. And of course, they continued growing as Yarbrough Peoples. I'm doing Yarbrough Peoples and Gap Band and Goody, but you know, in the studio doing albums on all three of the groups, on all of the Total Experience people up there, they would call me in to play percussion on whomever needed percussion for you know whatever the producer wanted. But yeah, that Don't Stop the Music was, was and then their ballads were amazing because they had amazing vocals to it. Kind of like a Renee and Angela thing, a Ashford and Simpson thing. But Don't Stop the Music was the show, was a stage showstopper. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a listen. I know it is on every playlist, but um, we just, out of dedication, we've got to take a few seconds and just uh, take a listen because I don't want to stop the music. So <laughs> they certainly going to make sure that we don't. So we'll take a lesson for a moment. And then what about you and these early days with um, Charlie Wilson and the Gap Band? What were maybe some of the different ways that you might either change up your sound or some of the music that you were performing as you switched between the, the three groups just to continue to expand your horizons? Well, that just playing congas, timbales, bongos, and, and percussion with different people and everybody uh, gave me the, the sound of, all of their sounds and then I had my sound and then I mixed them and it became the sound. And that the sound was what a lot of people liked. I actually had somebody say, um, I, I wanna use you cause I like your Congo bongo combination. Well, everybody didn't play it that way or the way I played it. Uh, I saw later on because even in the beginning, even as I'm looking at different percussionists and different people, they would have the two kungas, and then somebody else would be playing the bongos. But my situation was the bongos were over the top of the kungas. So I got to play down and up and down and up and down and up, a combination of the bottom sound and the top sound on the same song of the same rhythms. And mm, they liked that. So I started adding my stuff 
to everybody else's stuff. And it they like calling me in the studio for those things. Sure, I love it. What was, um, maybe we'll just do two, uh, two of your um, favorite songs you were doing uh, during this time uh, when you were out on tour, um, which um, whatever group that you uh, sort of like, because like you said, it seems like a lot of the concerts and performances were overlapping between the three groups. Well, I mean, getting with Gap Band, all of the songs were, were with your Auburn Peoples, it was Don't Stop the Music that we were playing on the tours with uh, Goody, it was do something, a lot of percussion-y, and tonight I feel like I want to do something, had a lot of percussion in it. And then Gap stuff had all of those hits, and that was a potpourri of picking any one of them. But of course, Outstanding was the hit that just blew, blew up. And I actually had the privilege of playing on the 12 inch of that, which blew up even more because then all the rappers started sampling uh, from that, the little bongo part that me and, and Raymond Calhoun did, Raymond Calhoun was the guy that wrote it, one of the drummers for Gap. And on the album, he did it. And on the 12 inch, I did it and I did it different. And they started sampling that and loving it. And I'm like, wow, and turning the beat around and doing different things with it. So that one was, was really cool to do musically while I was out there. I love it. So we're going to take a quick pause and listen to both of these back to back. I know everybody knows outstanding, but like I said, the music that Groovy was doing is pretty amazing as well. And um, it's so much fun to kind of go back and, and take a listen and be reminded that um, these are some great songs and uh, writing like this is just, uh, it's timeless. So yes. uh, let's have a listen. Tonight, tonight, to be right here at St. Thomas. Cause I really love the way you love me. 
Okay, so you're with the Gap Band and you're out there performing and just walk us through sort of how things may have changed or evolved because obviously being able to keep up with uh, three groups was difficult and, and people's lives change and how did things evolve for you as a performer um, as time went on and, and some of the tours may have changed? Yeah, in the beginning it was fun. All of it was fun. In the beginning it was riding the buses the three tour buses from city to city back. That's how far back we went. It wasn't good. It was when we did the overseas things, it was going to the airport and flying, but the state stuff was pretty much done by on buses. We'd get on those three buses and just have a ball. So after a long period of time of all of that, it started winding down and it was time for me to move on to other groups. Other groups was finding me and I was branching out doing other things. And up popped Shaka Khan, you know, and uh, Bobby Watson from Rufus took me to a rehearsal of Shaka's um, at the Coliseum because they were, they were setting up for the Coliseum Funk Festival. He took me there and because uh, he was going to play and said, hey, Shaka, this is Victor Orlando. And before we can get into any other conversation, I know you, don't I? I said, yes, Shaka, you know me. Charlie used to bring me up to your house ages ago and reminded her what house she had so that she wouldn't think this was a Hollywood lie. Somebody said, oh, yeah, oh, Charlie brought me up to your house. Okay, well, what kind of house did I have? You know, and that's how you stop, that's how you stop a brother from lying. <laughs> Well, I said, no, Charlie brought me up to the house. You know, the house looked like a castle up there off of Laurel Canyon. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I said, okay. So Bobby said, yeah, we brought him by to see if, see if you know, you wanted and needed him to play or wanted him to play. She said, boy, where's your stuff at? Get your stuff and come on. Just that simple. Lovely. Just that simple. And of course, I didn't have my stuff. <laughs> it, it, was, it was at... Um, it was at my apartment in Inglewood. Right. And she said, this is how cool all of that was. Just get your stuff, bring it to the Coliseum tomorrow. Land, the drummer, which is my buddy, Land Richards will give you the, the show list. And he knows all the changes and breaks. Oh, you'll be fine. That's all I said, oh, you'll be fine. <laughs> Set up at the Coliseum, did the show, didn't, not one, that's the respect and that's the level that God gave me. I, I very rarely have to do rehearsals with people if, if I don't, if I'm not in the position to, because I know the music, I've played it. And if there's changes and breaks and this, that and the other, 
somebody's letting me know, or I got ears enough not to be playing on top of, of a break that where it's supposed to be solid. So God has given me that little ability. So uh, the next day I played the entire show without one rehearsal and, you know, didn't know where any breaks were, <laughs> but it was cool. And I ended up fine. Well, they ended up taping it. So that show, um, some of the songs, and I think I'm, no, I didn't send you those. They're on YouTube. I just Google Shaka Khan Funk Festival at the Coliseum and it pumped me. My, I was on the shows, you know. I said, I've got to get those and put those in my library, you see. I love it. No, absolutely. That's going to be our next little break. We're going to bring you uh, Shaka Khan live at the Coliseum Funk Festival. Um, let's take a listen. Yeah, it's these stories are just simply amazing. And um, since we're on a roll, um, tell us about uh, Bobby Womack. Oh, um, Bobby Womack came along. I mean, loved him, loved his sound, loved his music, loved his voice. Now, I always thanked God for the blessing that you have given me iconic voices of people to play with. Charlie, Shaka, Bobby. LL Cool J, uh, just different other people in the business whose voices were real, great music, real. And it was at a time that wasn't anything happening. I wasn't touring. I was like, like laying in the bed, like, oh, you know, as a musician in LA, where the next gig coming from? Didn't know. And then the phone rang. Oh, hey man, what's up? All right, man, what you doing? Nothing. Such and such wants you to audition for Bobby Womack. I sit straight up in my bed. Huh? What? What what, 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 what we doing? What, what, what's up? What's up? Bobby ready to go on a European tour, tour and they need a percussionist. I'm there. I'm there. What I need to do? Call this guy. Get over to his house. Get the, um, get the, um, and it wasn't even an audition, really. It was a get Victor Orlando, give him the CD of the show. And no rehearsal, and down. Let's go. So that turned out to be really cool. 
um, got the CD, got everything. We went out on the first week of the tour. Bobby had gotten sick mm. and he came back in after that week. And I'm like, oh, snap. That's the end of that. But it was only until he got well uh, before they restarted it. And then we went on back over to, to London and um, finished the tour. But it was just to hear that voice and to sing those iconic songs and then to say, you're playing behind them. Right. Was so, and then at one place in London, I heard uh, Mick Huckenhall from uh, Simply Red was in the house. Uh, Ron, um, Ron, guitar player from Faces that was with Rod Stewart and Rod Stewart was in the house while Bobby was, yes, up in the, up in the rap. Vic, did you see, did you see uh, um, Rod Stewart? Where? He's upstairs listening, y'all. What? Yeah. Well, at one time I heard Michael Jackson was off stage behind the curtain peeking through, watching Yarbrough and Peoples. Um, Prince came to Hollywood Bowl watching James Brown. Yarbrough and Peoples opened up for James Brown. He was there for that. Right. I gave him my seat in the audience. I believe that. I was out in the audience just listening to, it was some of the warmer band and we were coming on next and I was just sitting there and I looked over my shoulder, that's Prince, that's Prince. <laughs> Hard to believe. I got up and said, would you like my seat? I'm getting ready to go play. Just in case you ever need a percussion player, I'm getting ready to go play. Yeah. He took the seat, I disappeared. I, and it wasn't even in the day of, let me get a picture with you, man. Let me get a picture right. with you. <laughs> Happy to do the favor, pay a yeah. Never know. I, Gave him the seat and disappeared and went and played. So those are some of those iconic good times of being out there. Um, another phenomenal person. Um, and so tell us, uh, Bobby Womack, what song? Just set it up for us, something that you just really enjoyed playing with him. I'm sure there's several songs, but uh, we've got to take a listen. Oh, um, what were we doing out there that was just like, Oh, um, um, across 110th Street. You know that one was that one was really percussiony, and and he let me express. He let me play me. I heard the tapes, and I was like, mm, "Wish that could have been on the track, but mm, they not really doing nothing." So <laughs> he let me be me, and wow. if I wasn't doing enough, which what they're doing? I'm saying I'm playing what they told me to play off the tape. I, I need to hear you. You ain't doing you. I need to hear you. Wow. Okay, you get me. And I started being me. And he liked it and stuff. So, yeah, uh, across 110th Street was like the jam, you know. I was the third brother of mine. Doing whatever I had to do to survive. I'm not saying what I did was all right. Trying to break out of the ghetto was a day-to-day -day fight. Being down so long, getting up didn't cross my mind. But I knew that was a better way of life, and I was just, just, just trying to find. You don't know what you do until you put under pressure. Across the 110th Street is a hell of a tip. Y'all sing. 
And I love this parallel that's coming up a few times now where you describe that you're still willing to kind of sublimate your ego and even some of your playing style to kind of get along with the band and not necessarily try to showboat. And I think that with a lot of groups, that can definitely be a challenge. There may be people that know they have talent. You've, you've designed, you've written, you've created, you've worked with some of the greatest groups at the time and things of that nature nature and it would be very easy to state from the very beginning I'm going to always do it my way tell us a little bit about that personality that allows you to feel comfortable sort of taking your orders so to speak and, and not always feeling like okay I'm always going to just do it my way regardless of, of whether the band agrees with this or not because I think that really is something that I hear can cause challenges in groups to say the least you know like we don't usually play it this way and he just joined us he hasn't earned the right to you know, do solos or to be so upfront or out there. Yeah, I, 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 it's so weird you say that. Um, I was with Angie Stone and there was a keyboard player that was just miserable to, he just brought the up energy all the way down because he wanted to do a certain thing in a certain way and stuff. And what got me was as we were taking the bus, uh, the van rides up to Sacramento for the Sacramento Festival, we had to go by his house to pick him up. I'm like, we all met to get in the van at once, but yet we got to go by his house to pick him up. Hmm. Okay. Not my group. I don't care. Pick him up. We go up there, starting to hear this chatter from him. And now we got the clash between him and Angie. And I'm like, everybody in the band like, dude. Just play it the way she wants it played. And that's me saying it, and I'm just a Congo player. Dude. And he's over there, and I wrote it, I wrote it this way for rehearsals, and now you want to change it. Well, if she does, let her. Wow, that was deep, man. But for me, because I will always get to do what I want to do and need to do when it's time to do it, I don't never inflict that on anybody else's group. Unless they ask me, turn me up a little bit. I always figured out how to blend with the artists, the music, don't play too loud, um, don't jump around too much because I'm a jumper and you know, don't, don't, don't give them too much. Now I got to, oh, you want this? Oh, that's extra in the contract. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just stand here and do this. Oh, no, I want you to take your hair down. And hmm, It's going to be a little extra because when I do that, you might not like the consequences of what happens afterwards. And it's not an ego thing. It's just, I know what happens when all of that happens. You sung your little thing and did your little thing, which 
wasn't Shaka, Charlie, that level tight. And then I go there and then, whoo, wow, ooh, ooh. And then I feel bad at the end of the thing and I get, trust me, and it's not an ego thing, it's crazy. I get tons wanting autographs, wanting pictures, wanting, wanting. But the artist they came to see is standing over there drinking water. And like, I told you, just let me, I, let me just stand here and do this. Cause when I go there, it goes somewhere else and the people feel it and see it. And they, uh, they appreciate that. And I'm like, oh, dang, I know they feeling weird. They looking over here and come on y'all don't, don't know, no pictures, no. I'm trying, I'm trying to dumb it down even when they are, you know, but a lot of the main artists have wanted that uh, at certain points in the show, not the whole show. Switch, we have a um, 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 spot in there, a couple of songs. Turn it up, turn it all the way up, go. Uh, my, my 16, my eight bars turned into 16, dang it, 32. Wow. After, after rehearsal, I did that. I don't think I ever did the hair, but I just turned up the intensity volume on playing and turned out to be a crowd pleaser. Well, it was a rehearsal pleaser for Greg and Switch, but then a crowd pleaser when we did it in the crowd. So I just learned, you learn music, you learn band members, you learn artists, you learn your turf and what to do and how to do it and when to do it and when not to do certain things. And like you said, some people don't have that in them to do that. They're, I'm gonna do me regardless. That's why, that's how I got the LL Cool J gig. Percussionist was gonna do him regardless. And it was like, hmm, can you get Victor Orlando on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> and I got the call and uh, I didn't even believe it. I was working at a donut shop, midnight shift, 12 to eight. Wow. My niece says, Uncle Victor, Uncle Victor, somebody called here, they said, LL Cool J wants you to rehearse for them today. I said, stop playing with me. Ain't nobody <laughs> need no LL Cool J call my house, call y'all house and ask him for me. Yeah, they did, Uncle Victor, yeah, they did. I get to the house, they give me the number. Uh, it's his third encore rehearsal studio. Is it LL Cool J? Yeah. Um, hey, uh, Victor, this is such and such with management. Can you come down today and bring your stuff and we want you for an audition? Really? Yeah, can, what time can you be here? Bam. No. I, had to, I had to bring my nieces some free donuts the next time because they were right. <laughs> exactly. Wow. That's amazing. So we're going to walk through those in sequence and we'll end it with LL. Um, set us up for an Andy Stone song that you really, um, that you really enjoy or loved. With LL? With uh, Angie Stone. Let's do Angie Stone first. Oh, Angie. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know her music as much as I knew Shaka's type music. She was just a great artist. But as a thing, when I tell everybody, always play everybody's music because you don't never know who you're going to get called to do. Mm-hmm. But Angie's stuff, um, I, can't, I keep forgetting the name of that hit she had. It was pretty. Her stuff was more mellow and laid back. Right. But it was pretty, kind of like a Sade-ish type thing. So uh, it was pretty much just the whole show that she had that I enjoyed. But her hit was one of the ones that I loved. Sure. Excellent. No, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take a listen. Um, and then also, um, 
LL, you mentioned doing a song with him. Yeah, that was, um, once again, it goes back to that theory. Listen to everything because you don't know who's going to call you. Okay, a rap artist was not nowhere on the radar. If the radar was 100, rap artist was 200. (laughs) But when they said LL called you at the house to come for an audition, I'm like, okay, I've listened, I've heard, I've heard Rock the Bells, I've heard uh, Mama Said Knock You Out, I've heard this stuff, but I like Kumo D stuff a little better, you know, uh, uh, I loved it because Kumo D stuff was a little more rhythmic for me. Rapping is fine, because rapping is nothing but playing percussion with your mouth, you know, I go to work, I like a doctor, when I rock the mic, you got to like to operate. That's really all just, just it's all of that. And I like that. All of the rappers, I really, in my car, I listen to K-Day pretty Mm. much mostly. Not for the lyrics per se, but the beats and and the rapping rhythms. And that stuff is really cool that how, because rappers, rappers brought in scratchers and scratchers was nothing but percussion on a turntable, you know? So, but when I got that and went there and got with him and he was cool to a point and the band, the band was cool because the band was made up of a bunch of people I already knew. And when this other dude was tripping about wanting it to be his way, they had a meeting, said, who else can we call? And my name came up and I called and I got it. Right. And the other dude was pissed at me like forever because I came and took his gig. No, you lost your gig (laughs) with your mouth to this day. So he doesn't, you know, he don't say squat to me per se, but um, I just went in, did what I did. But we did, we were on, that's the first time I played with a band that played rap music because he wanted the band to emulate everything that they had made up on the records. And, um, that was that was pretty decent, pretty cool. And they did the that was in like the nineties. So we did the Bobby Brown, uh, the New Edition Hammer tours. It was during that time. That was the popular stuff, and we were out there on the road road with those things. Right. And if you had to pick a song from that time that you liked or that stuck oh, with, oh, the Mama said knock you out was it. It was that that was the one that you know I could do a little percussion stuff in. Right. Yeah, we're gonna take a listen. Don't call it a comeback.
I love it. What a musical catalog. And I would be remiss, even though I know we moved forward a little bit faster than I thought we would in terms of the artists. Um, please talk to me about um, Billy Preston and working with him because uh, another amazing artist. Oh, yeah. Well, that came from the bass player from the very first group I played with. And he was, he was on Motown, so so was Billy, and Ozone was playing behind Billy. And uh, we were doing some casino dates, uh, Reno, and around and a couple of things around town. And then uh, we did the James Cleveland album, uh, Gospel Guy. Uh, we did his live album. So, but when we went out with Billy, it was just the fact of, you know, Will it go around in circles and space, uh, space, space something was one of his tunes. That was one of the funkier ones. And uh, that was just so cool to do. And then me and him hit it off being friends. We went to uh, Reno and while everybody was checking in the hotel, you know, I, uh, not security, the guy, uh, the guy, the managers, managers would go in there be getting our keys and stuff and calling our name, handing us the keys. Well, it was kind of a pretty big band. So while everybody's getting their keys and I was like, there's a crap table over there. Man, I went over there and started playing. Next thing I know, I was up $2,200. I hadn't even got my key or made it to the room yet. Right. So, and I didn't know what I was doing. All I knew, <laughs> Keep putting the money down and keep hoping and people roll the dice on that that little, uh, the field, they call it. Because okay. there's more numbers in the field than it is around the outside. So, hmm, the more numbers in there, there's more possibilities it's going to hit. 20, $21, $2,200 later. So I take the money to the room and I give it to the guitar player. I said, keep this from me. Keep this away from me so exactly. that I have something to take home. And the next day, Billy come knocking on the door. Hey, you wanna go down to the casino with me? <laughs> I heard you won $2,100. So uh, I'm not about to let my magic rub off on you, exactly. but that's, you know, that's what he wanted. He wanted to go down and see if my magic could rub off on him. Right. And uh, he won money and I lost pretty much all the $2,100 back. <laughs> oh. The moment is signing a great story. <laughs> trying my best to try my best to hang with somebody at twenty one hundred dollars like dropping the bucket to them. Exactly. Right. Like, oh, I just lost twenty one hundred dollars. Vic, how much you got? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> but uh, he was cool. He didn't give it back to me, but he was cool. <laughs> okay. All right. We're gonna listen. Ah, uh, yes, I love love that song by Bill Preston. Let's let's uh let's take yeah. a look. Circles, 
And then also before we forget, um, Switch, tell us a little bit about, uh, about working with Switch and um, before we, uh, so we can set up the song. Um, that's not a group's name you get to hear as often. That's real music lovers that when you hear Switch. Um, yeah. What did you, what you like and enjoy or if there's a personal story about being with them? Well, um, Switch later after leaving Motown ended up being on the record label, Total Experience Records with, with Gap Band. So being, and it was kind of like an empire thing where every, every you saw all the artists in the hallway or drinking water, hanging out. So got to, you know, made friends with Switch and those guys back in the day. Uh, not too much the DeBarges, Elder Barge and all of those because they stay over at Motown. But uh, Bobby DeBarge uh, was the lead singer with Switch. And um, they were over there. So didn't even think about them, playing with them or nothing ever in life. It never crossed my mind. And Sherry, not Sherry Gordy, uh, Carla Gordy and her mother Iris, they put on this bowling tournament every year for the Fuller Gordy Foundation. Yes. And I have, I got so much hardware back there on my mantle. <laughs> I'm gonna take a look at that too at some point. Yeah, I got so much hardware just from bowling those three, four years that I bowled on the tournaments. So Switch was actually there the last year that we had it before going on COVID breakdown. And um, uh, they played because after each bowling tournament, they would have an artist play uh, right before they gave out the trophies or right after to keep all of the people they had one, an artist play. I played it one year. I, I did uh, solo tracks to my stuff and I played it, which was cool. And then I look up and Switch did it one year. So I was talking to Greg. Hey man, good to see you. Here's my card. Call me if you want some percussion sometime. Yeah, we got to do that, man. We got to do that. And, you know, I get the call and it's like, we're getting ready to do some, do some uh, dates. Would you, you know, you want to do something? Of course. Yeah. Switch. And then that's when we hit the road and um, we went back to uh, Philip and James Ingram's hometown. Uh, saw the street that was named after James and uh, you know because James Ingram and Philip were brothers and Philip was in the group so we went to their hometown played that show saw got pictures of, up under the sign right. and but and then this new guy named Akili Nixon was doing the Bobby DeBarge's part of the high stuff which sounds like L but it was actually Bobby but Akili's doing it and it, it all just worked and like I said, they gave me my little time when we, um, best beat, best beat in town is the song okay. that is so up that that's why I had my 16 bar solo. Uh, it was the drummer got his 16 and then I got my 16. But of course, I just didn't get 16 bars, <laughs> I had 16 bars with icing on it. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> All right, we're gonna listen to that. The best beat in town. Ah, uh, just what a treat! What a treat! Um, you're hearing it here on Music and Medicine, and my guest is Victor Orlando. It is such a delight. And um, here we go with Switch. Now the beat is made up for you to rock. <laughs> 
I want to make sure we get to your music because Fungala is so amazing. Tell me about how that project came together, your inspiration for it. And um, the video is just simply amazing. And while we uh, have you talk about it, we're going to play some of the making of behind the scenes. But, but set it up for us. Tell us about the opportunity to do that and create it and how amazing an experience it was. Mm -hmm. I, um, that, you know, music is like a roller coaster. It's up and down. I don't care how big you play with whomever you're playing with, it's going to go down sometime. Uh, nobody has a string of hits for, for life. So it's going to go down. And when it does, it's um, feast of famine. It's hustle to the next thing. It's a whole bunch of stuff. And I just said, you know what? Well, let's bridge that by putting your own groups together and playing in the interim before getting that next phone call. And I've had bands throughout the years of Victor Orlando and Energy, NRG, like Princess NPG, oh. Energy, Victor Orlando and Explosion, just something with Victor Orlando and patterning after the Gloria Esteban and the Miami Sound Machine, Carlos and Santana, patterning after the name and then the name of the band was my mentality of putting stuff together. And some kind of way, because I know who I am, I know what I do, I know what I like. It's not a matter of what anybody else like. I'm gonna do what I like and then see if you like it. Oh, you like all of this. Okay, well then you really gonna like Fanjala. And I don't know how, I don't know how I sit up and penciled it out. I know how I sit up and, and make me an outfit I'll see some material and say, okay, I want a jacket that way and I want the shirt that way and I'll kind of draw it up. I'll see that. But I said, oh, my next group, what, what, what you gonna call it? Victor Lando and what? And I'm like, I do funk. I like to play jazz because we're doing all of these things where people want to eat and they want the music way down. They just want some nice jazz while they eat and then they want to dance after that. But when we do the Latin, you really get crazy and dance. I said, okay, I do funk, I do jazz, and I do Latin. I do funk, I do jazz, and I do Latin. Funk, F-U-N-K, take the K off of there. Jazz, take the Z off of there. Latin, take the I-N. Funjala, what does that mean? It means funk, jazz, Latin. That's, and everybody lost their mind after hearing. They love the name, then they hear the, how they got to be the name. So, and then Fanjala, we just, we do funk, jazz, and Latin. So when I get booked, I'm like, what kind of music do you want? You want funk, jazz, or Latin? We just want all old school funk. We just want funk. We want a party. No problem. Fanjala will do funk. Uh, what do you want? Well, uh, you got a three piece to do jazz? Uh, no, you need to go see my video. I don't do three pieces. <laughs> oh, I love that. I do jazz, but I don't do three pieces, okay? Have you ever seen Chicago come out with like a one horn horn section in Chicago? Well, don't ask me to do a three piece funjala. I usually tell people, go look at my videos. If you like that, that's what you're gonna book. Because I'm that's something I'm not gonna deviate from per se. Because I'm shortchanging me of giving you everything I can do and shortchanging you because you're not gonna get the sound that you saw on the video. Oh, I like the band on the video, but, but can, can you give me less horns? <laughs> so, you know what? Let's end all this. What's your budget? 
Exactly. Well, I'll take that such and such and spread it out over my eight pieces and you'll get your sound. I'll get my money. We'll all be happy, but I'm not going to disrespect the music right. because you don't have enough money. And then I stopped dealing with people with not enough money and just like, look, here's the budget of what this amount of people do. Right. And look at the video. And if you like that and the hype of it and what we do, we got a deal. And I actually have my next gig in January for 3,500. Right. I'm doing my Cuban salsa band called Orchestra de Orlando. Mm. And we'll be playing Miami Sound Machine, Ricky Martin, Mark Anthony type music for this uh, special function that if I can get well, we'll make it happen in January. But yeah, that's how Funjala came about. And uh, we did a promo video and people liked it. And I usually ask, what do you want? Well, when I saw in the video, okay, well, that's funk, jazz, and Latin. So at some point, we're going to do all of that that night. Uh, then some people only want Latin. So, okay, I give you my Santana tribute show that's in the Punjala uh, umbrella, and we're all happy. Yeah. You won't have to worry about me playing no George Clinton or Bootsy on the Santana show. And But on my Punjala show, you get Bootsy, Santana, and and uh, uh, open up with a jazz instrumental. We'll do that, you know? So you'll get a little of all of it on a Panjala show if you have no objections to us doing Panjala. I love it. What a great setup. I couldn't ask for any more. Let's take a listen because this is just, it's simply amazing. It blew my mind. I've listened to it several times since you and I started talking about it. And it's just, uh, like you said, I mean, all those artists that you just went through in terms of style and to, to sort of fuse that is just um, simply ahead of its time. That's just the way, best way to describe it. Bunjala, yeah. gentlemen, Victor Orlando.
Okay, and then COVID comes along, and you were hinting at this, it really puts a stop to everything. And what's amazing is that you use this as an opportunity to really start pursuing your health and getting a checkup. Tell us about sort of how that thought process happened, because many people were running away from the doctor and away from any um, medical setting where they could get worked up because they were too afraid they might get sick. Yeah, um, of course, it was like a blind side for that to happen in like January, February, March of the two years ago, almost. Um, but when it hit and it started shutting everybody down, um, we were touring with Switch, getting dates and getting dates locked in and getting ready to really hit it. And um, started looking up and people's stuff started canceling. Everybody's uh, Santana and Earth, Wind and Fire show uh, over by the Coliseum canceled. Uh, big shows started canceling. I'm like, well, if y'all canceling, I know they're getting ready to cancel us. And bam, everybody to the house, locked down and just chill out. Don't know what this is, where it's going and when it's gonna end. So, and that was during election time. So that negativeness of election, that negativeness of, 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 of COVID was too much for a bunch of people, but it was starting to get to me, depressing me. And I'm watching TV and wondering why I'm either crying or I'm either depressed. I'm like, just, uh, just, and it hit me. I was like, it's coming from the TV. The more you watch that, the more it sucks the life out of you. Flip, I'm gonna start watching Big Bang Theory and Al Bundy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna pick my stuff back up to the funny level. Big Bang Theory and Married with Children, it did it for me. And so I, I didn't anymore and I pulled myself out of where I was being spiraled down into and I was looking at a BET special one Sunday about go-go music in Washington, DC. Hmm. And of course, the number one song of that that comes to everybody's mind is doing the but from Spike Lee's movie. And they were on the on the documentary of that. And I'm sitting at my little table playing on the table, playing, you know, playing the, the, the rhythm. And out of the blue sky, COVID is over, it's time to party. The COVID is over, be putting it down. All of that hit me. Wow. Like, wow. And then, you know, I started formulating the lyrics. It started way back, back in March. You know, it shut us down. We had no choice. And I'm, I'm like, just as a writer, taking reality and putting it into them four bars. Right. And with that beat and got up, cut it, went to the studio, Everybody mask up. I don't know what's happening, but mask up till we get ready to play. Came into the studio, cut the song, uh, mixed it, 
sent it to Congress, the Library of Congress, got my rights on it, because uh, I ain't steal nothing from nobody to make it. It just heavenly came to me, and it was so bouncy, and everybody's been playing it and loving it, but I couldn't go national with it because COVID wasn't over. And I had to do the video to, the video was done for the song, but still the song was saying COVID is over. And I know a fourth, if not a third of people are gonna, what is he talking about? That's not over with. Why is he putting that out? Blah, blah, blah. The naysayers and the negative people. My My whole original thought, I'm making, you know what? Late of all this negative stuff, I'm tired of this. We need to party, y'all. We need to party. Close that door, turn up time to party, and just party in your house with the theme of COVID is over, it's time to party. But I'm like, and I started getting a little pushback from different people. It's not over. I'm like, okay, okay. So I'm, I'm getting that from y'all. And okay, let me hold the reins back on that. But everybody's still loving it. And that's why I changed it from COVID is over, time to party, to just time to party. And and I'm like, okay, we'll wait until Fauci takes the mask off and say, we think it's all okay and clear now. But with the way y'all all all wanna keep this thing going, money-wise for everybody to make money on some end, your Pfizer's and your JJ's, everybody's making money. You stopping my one little bitty song from getting out there. And I had it all set up with KJLH to to, 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 to go, you know, two weeks of, of heavy promotion on that. And dude said, well, how, do, you, do you really think right now, is, yeah, I hear you. The, this thing is still happening. And I come with that and people not gonna understand it. I just meant, uh, I, at one point I was even saying, okay, here's a, a, a disclosure. COVID is not over. Exactly. That's the uh, disclosure. Now enjoy the music. Exactly. But I'm, I got to a point where, you know what? I'm not even gonna continue going through that. We're just gonna put the song out. And if you like it, you like it. Right. And, uh, but we're not saying it's over, so don't blame us. Right. And, but people from Europe, wow. uh, the UK, uh, Canada, Australia, the, the DJs that have their stations have been playing the song. Yeah. I just haven't had a national release on it yet because I don't nationally want to uh, um, uh, mess up nobody's mind. Right, right. So right. when, like I said, when Fauci kind of puts his mask down and say, I think we're kind of in the clear, that then we'll hit with a national thing to see if people really can enjoy it. Sure. No, that's great. Now tell us about your own health journey, because what's amazing is during this time, you went and got a checkup. Um, and like I said, a lot of people were kind of avoiding the hospital. Um, yeah. And what did you what did you find? What did that reveal? Well, yeah, you're right. Most of the damage was being done in a hospital. And I wasn't thinking about going in or anything. I wasn't. I'm like, I'm gonna sit in my living room and that's it. Till I die, I will be sitting in this living room. So I don't know what's out there. I'm going to do what uh, Moses did. I'm going to put some red paint on my front door and let COVID fly over the top. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm starting to feel sick. Like, 
a cold, like, you know, sniffles. And I know my body. And I had been getting through the years, through my medical group, uh, hey, you need to check out your this, that, and the other. You need to have you got your flu shots. You need to check this. You need to get a, have you had a colonoscopy? Do you know your numbers for diabetes? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I get to it. I'm on tour right now. I'll get to it. I'm uh, playing basketball right now. I'll get to it. I'm not playing golf. I'll get to it. And paper came in again. I looked at it and I was like, you know what? It's COVID time and I'm not doing anything and it's, they're paying for it. Let me go get a blood test and see what's up. And went in to get the test and they were like, you know, you need to get a colonoscopy because your, your age. And when was the last time you had one? I said, uh, never, <laughs> never. The, the, the black man's anthem. When is the last time you had such and such? Uh, never. So I'm like, you know what? This will be a good time. Go get a colonoscopy check. So I went in there and against all of my manly and doctorly reasons for wanting to be on that table, buck naked, bent over, and somebody's probing through my rear end. I'm like, no, no, no. And my mind and God in the hospital, yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay, okay. Long as you put me out, we cool. Right. No. So I go to the hospital and the doctor is like talking to me. And yeah, I play, you know, I'm a musician and this and other. Oh, really? You know, what do you play? I said, I play Pukka. <laughs> That stuff that they put in my arm took me out when they were rolling me in. All, I didn't even get to finish saying percussion. Right. I said, percussion. <sighs> Next thing from that question was, Mr. Orlando, wake up. You've been sleeping an hour and a half. Let's put your clothes on. What did you say? Right. You've been sleeping an hour and a half. You're through. We're finished. Wow. I'm like, then I get the doctor. He says, we found two polyps in your colon. I'm like, I don't know none of this, but that don't sound right. right. You found something up in my rear end when you went up in there. Right. And I'm like, okay. And they said, but they weren't benign or be, uh, malignant, whatever, whatever the word of negative is. They weren't that. They weren't cancerous but we took them out. I'm like, great. I said, but since they were in there, you're prone to have them growing back. So we need to see you every blah, 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 whatever month. So I'm like, okay, got it out. I didn't feel a version of anybody probing in me. Right. Um, I, it was all done while I was asleep. I can roll with that. Right. So I come back home. I'm looking on the list. I'm like, okay, you need to go check out some other stuff on here. Prostate, diabetes, blah, 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 blah. I go in, blood test. Doctor calls me and she says, your PSA numbers are high. Mm -hmm. I didn't do biology in class. I don't know what that means. Sure. Well, they're not 0, 0.0. Right. So they're 6.4. Right. 
like, okay, well, six is a long way from zero. Right. And that sounds like it may mean something, especially if it's if 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 the if the scale is zero to ten or six point four is up there. Right. But it was a double, it was a single digit going up. And the next blood test I got was 19.9. And I'm like, okay, now I'm in double digits and I'm getting scared. And I'm like, okay, what does all of this mean? March 4th, 2020, um, March 4th, 2021, guy calls me in the office, my urologist and says, I hate to tell you, but you have cancer. You could have said, I'm taking two of your congas out of your house. You've come home and all your percussion have been stolen. You left your wallet in the Uber with $1,000 in it. You could have said all of that, but that. His next words were, but it's fixable. Okay, let me swallow the fact you just said I had it. And I'm I'm tensing up. So what, what we need to do, what do we need to do before I send my mind on this journey of total chaotic confusion what do we need to do right well we found prostate we found cancer in your prostate and it's it's, it hasn't spread anywhere else we don't think and we need you to go get a ct scan right i did that we went uh now we need you to go get an mri so we can Make sure around the whole thing, it hasn't gotten out anywhere. Right. Or we'd have another, yeah, or we'd have a whole nother different conversation. So I get the MRI and I come back and he says, that's why I said it's fixable. It's only on the inside. It does not spread on the outside. I put that on my Facebook. A lot of people were praying for me, over 1,500. I'm like, wow, I didn't know I had that many friends in life. Right. But they came out the woodworks with prayers. And then when I said, found out that it had not spread outside to my bones anywhere, they were just as happy as I was because there would have been another conversation. My second wife died of fourth stage cancer, spread outside her body, ate her up, turned her into a shriveled prune. She was a beautiful black girl. And it just, just sucked the life out of her. She didn't even want me to see her. My cousin is the one that sent me the picture of what she looked like before dying. And so I know, so I didn't know I was in second stage. And if I'd have let it go any longer, it may have, may have got to third stage, but this is God now intervening. He's God is the one that said, you're not doing nothing. It's free. I think you need to do this. And God is like, cause I know something's about to happen that you don't know so i need you to do these other three things so when he told me get the mri okay it's not out here's your two options take it out or chemo or radiation immediately i'm like no 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 chemo no chemotherapy no radiation i've seen too much of that right you know let's just if it's right there inside that let's just take it out right I, and he says, here's the negative connotations of both doing both ways. Right. If you do the chemo and the, the, the radiation, it might come back. Right. And you can't have chemo and radiation anymore after that. Exactly. And I'm like, oh, snap. 
cool. But if you take it out, you will not have any more babies and some other men things won't be happening for you for a while or forever. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Dang. I call myself a playboy and I guess that's over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't was the, the, the egotistical playboy, but I love women. Sure. And I'm like, well, dang. Okay, Vic, living a playboy. Okay, come on. This is, this is not rocket science. Right. Living a playboy. <laughs> I'm like, okay, ladies, I'm now going to live. <laughs> right. You pass that class in biology. <laughs> right. So I'm like, you know what? I got five children from the ages of 48 down to 21. I got five great, I've got five grandkids and I have five great grandkids. Um, oh, what's in my mouth? A hair. I'm hairy. I have five great grandkids, which the youngest was just born Friday. So he's one, two, three days old. And uh, the oldest great grand is seven. So I have a, I have a big flock. And I'm like, okay. And I'm one year away from 70. So I'm like, maybe I'm through. (laughs) <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's, maybe God is trying to tell you something. Maybe it's time to hang up the old guns. We won't be playing sheriff shooting them out anymore. And exactly. Bang bang pop pop nowhere. Right. I okay. said, but I'm saying all that in my mind sure. in a three second span right. of the question that he said asked me, which one, one or two, and I'm going like, okay. Let's take it out. Now what's what's next? But what made me mad during that period of me saying those words it took basically a month afterwards before it happened. Mm. And I'm like, uh, look, you just told me I had cancer. Y'all need to be stepping this up. I need to have this done tomorrow night. Right, let's get it done. Tomorrow time. night. Right. I don't need no more talking about it, no more thinking about it. Because as long as you're talking and thinking, uh, this sucker might just decide they want to come out the little area. So I don't want that. Let's get it out. And I kind of got a little, mm, but got that date and it was on and cracking. But it was from, and there was no prostate pain. There was no prostate science. That was only God's sign of, I know what's going to happen to you in the next month. You don't. So I'm going to try to nudge you toward this paper to make that call. Now, I know plenty men wouldn't have made the call because I know men men are men. They're going to keep on, honey, would you fix the the, uh, the sink under the the thing under the kitchen sink? I'll get you it, babe. Two football seasons go by and they never do. (laughs) Two football seasons. (laughs) (laughs) And that's always going to be the truth. Babe, the game's on. Gonna shit away there. Men. And I've done it with I've done it with myself, and I, I don't have a girlfriend. I'm married. Uh, Vic, you need to you need to you need to uh, wash the tub out after your shower. I get it. Six months later, dang, this tub is black. Yeah, you you'll get it. You'll get it. You want to get it now? So I go to CVS and get all sorts of bottles of everything and spray it on and stuff just start melting and peeling away. I'm like, oh, this was easy. I should have did this a long time ago. You think? You think? <laughs> So I know men are the put off uh, species of situations, exactly. but God nudged me 
you need to do this. And I, I didn't question it. I didn't ask who, what, when, what, why, and should and shouldn't. It's just like the opportunity is now. COVID has allowed you to do whatever you want to do. And LA MediConnect is paying for it. Right. What's the excuse? Right. Hmm, you got that right. All right, can I get a blood test? And it started from there. Yeah. Other than that, and which lets me know that it went from zero point zero to six point four from some period of time. Right. So I had to have this January, February, even in, as in of last year, I could have had it and never known. But God knew that okay, this is now uh, June, and I'm not going to give you too much more time for this thing to grow because I'm not ready to take you. And if you do what I say, that you're hearing me, this may save your life. So I'm like, jump on it, Vic. And that's what started the ball. And I got it out. And now I'm in the healing process. And I'm also finding out a lot of guys that had it. I got so many phone calls. Yeah, man, I had, I had, my, uh, um, I had it taken out 10 years ago. I had taken out two years ago. Yeah, I had chemo and radiation. I'm still getting the stems. Oh, see, you're still getting all of that stuff in the after. Once it's out, mine's out. I'm not going to go through putting stems in me and this, that, and the other, and seeds and all of that stuff year, two years later. Yeah, you'll still have your prostate, and yeah, you may be able to still do some functions, but the, the thought of the radiation, the stems, the this, that, and the other later, no, take it out. And I was like, okay, you know what? It's out. What's the things on healing? Because I'm now understanding they went into my stomach and took that prostate out, but that disassembled all of my working parts down there and rewired them, re-sold them, re-stitched them. And now all of that's got to heal. And then with them telling me they cut the top of the bladder, cut the bottom of the prostate, snatched that out from up under my stomach, then sold the top of the uh, bladder to the top of the uterine, sold those two together so that the, 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 the bladder would go straight through the uterine and straight out. No processing, no filtering, no nothing in between, but that's gotta heal. Right. I'm like, y'all just went in and missed the potato head on me on the inside. You just start putting things in and pieces in. And I'm like, whoa. So the first week uh, after I got out of the hospital, I went into a care facility. Because I was told to ask that. And I was told by this hispanic nurse oh no you're not they're not gonna let you in there they're not gonna they're not gonna lie you're just gonna go home and i'm like oh you're just gonna say i'm not going in do you mind asking somebody because you all you are the lonely night nurse so you know who gave you authoritative because i'm hearing it in your voice that you're just telling me what you think ain't gonna happen right and she asked and i asked next thing i know oh we'll be moving you in a care facility for seven days Hmm, where that help at? So I can give her a piece of my mind. Oh, I'm not going now, huh? Oh, God. But I said, 
God, you took care of her and that I'm going where you needed me to go for 10 days. So after I left the hospital, after the night of being in that, I went to the care facility and therein lied where I found out I had more pain in me than somebody trying to come off of cocaine. Wow. Withdrawals for days. I'm screaming. Every move I made was painful. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't sit down. I couldn't walk. I couldn't nothing. And I had a tube in me. So I'm going through, wow. But so your name. But I'm alive. I'm vertical. I'm, I'm, I'm okay now. The cancer is out of me. And it wasn't just until the last doctor's visit from the last blood test. Oh, I got uh, news from you from the blood test. You're 0.0. Because wow. I heard even if you were 0.5, that was good. And I'm like, no, whatever is happening, I want to be 0.0. Right. And um, he said that, and that cool. I'm cool with that zero point zero. But I did the ten days in that hospital in that care facility, and then coming home. So as a comedian and as a musician, I couldn't crack a joke because I'd have to laugh or make somebody laugh or they made me laugh, and my stomach was like. Hey, dude, we're trying to heal down here. Okay, we're just going to mess you up. Every joke I laughed at, I said, I screamed with it because it. I'm, I'm laughing off of the healing right. area. Right, and pain. Painful. I go to, when I first came in my apartment, after I came back from the center, I dropped something on the floor. And actually, this is a part of my comedy routine that I do and the club, actually, I looked around. Well, ain't nobody here to pick this up but me. Right. <laughs> so I went down to pick it up. And I just gave you the lighter version of how I sounded. Right, right. And I'm like, what the, f okay, I just tore open the stitch of what they just did. Right. That's how it felt. Right. And at that point, from that point on, sitting down in a chair that same sound standing up that same sound um walking and then almost because uh, my motor skills of walking were gone so walking and falling over into the wall pulled on the side yeah. so i'm like i can't do nothing without screaming so i went about getting me a day nurse or getting me a nurse in how in-home nurse who had to come in and do pretty much everything because I couldn't. Even now, even now, the 18th of October, I have trouble bending down there and trying to tie my shoes up. Uh, my tennis shoes and most of my shoes, I walk around in. Uh, I don't even tie them up anymore. I just stick my foot in and go. Right. Because it's so hard to get down there and tie them up. Uh, I've learned how to one leg put on I had to learn how to wear the pins. All of that came with the process. And I'm like, wow, I had to have a whole life change after this. This is, and none of this has to do with percussion or music or Charlie or chocolate. None of, other than Charlie Wilson has had to go through the same thing. He had prostate cancer that almost took him out because the man thing, 
he didn't care enough to deal with it until it got bad. And then it made him deal with it. Right. Mine, I got that tap on the shoulder and that was enough for me. Yeah. But um, this had nothing to do with music. It had something to do with living and readjusting my life and thanking God that he allowed me to do that and not, as you read in here, Oh, such and such died of cancer. Oh, such and such died of prostate cancer. Oh, such and such died of this, that, and the other. So I didn't want to be in that old Victor Orlando died from category. But it has been slow. I didn't know how slow it was going to be, but it is slow and has been slow. But since June 23rd, it has progressed. I am seeing, feeling progress. And... Um, I'm trying to help other guys now because I know that's the mindset. Um, when I get totally, totally well and functionable, I want to start a Victor Orlando Foundation for Prostate Cancer Testing, or PCT, the acronym for percentage. I want We want to find out the percentage of what your blood uh, test is. Now, this is for Black musicians that a gig to gig workers, they ain't even thinking about no insurance. They ain't got it. They right. barely made a hundred dollars that week to get gas and to get some food. So they ain't thinking about insurance, but you got something that could be happening to you inside and you don't know. Right. Give me an application, give me a name. The foundation will pay for it. We will pay for your tests. We will pay for uh, the next step, which is to have the urologist go in to see if your prostate is swollen. We will pay for that. Now, after that, the results of if you do, then we got to get you some government assistance to take it from there. Yeah. But that's in the future. We just want to get you a test. And I've talked to some people about it. They want to be on board. They want to contribute and they want to be a part. Um, I want to get me at least five doctors uh, nurses, uh, doctors or nurses that would do the testing. And then because men have the stigma of a man putting their finger in their rear end, that they will rather die than to have that happen. You, you, you're a real strong gorilla buff dude. No, 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 that ain't happening. That danger. Okay, what if I got a female to do that just to make sure your health is okay? Well, I'm not. You got females to do that? Okay, well, now I'm going to calm your butt down. Maybe we can go in there and check and see if it's swollen. That's another step to finding out if you got this thing. So if I can get me three to five females on board with this, and, hey, I got such and such. He's going to come down. Can you give me a date for an appointment so you can see him? We'll pay for it. You know, send the bill to the Victor Orlando Foundation. Bam. That's what I want to do to give back. And um, I just want to get me well first before I even get into that. Sure, absolutely. Well, you've given us a, a lot to unpack. I want to debrief some of that. The fact that during this time where, like I said, a lot of people were running away from the hospital or even any kind of medical care, that you really realized that message that you needed to get checked out, that you had the time and that you couldn't keep making excuses. I can't emphasize enough. Prostate cancer and colon cancer, because that was the first thing you checked for are very real. And as you said, in our community, we are often the last to 
go and get checked out. There are many doctors and we're gonna put up the information for some of them at the end of this video who are available from our community, male and female, tall and short, all different um, types of cities are involved. They would love to be able to provide this test for you. And what you're talking about doing in terms of uh, putting together the foundation to help people get tested is, is just so amazing. So we certainly wanna pledge our support in terms of the network and the doctors and really putting together this true need that our community has, which is to stop being afraid to get tested and to find out what's going on with us. As we age, and certainly if we have things that place us at high risk, and we know what some of those things are, red meat, mm -hmm. and drinking alcohol, and things of this nature, smoking, um, our bodies change. And the ability to develop cancer can happen to anyone, um, even if they avoid um, some of the high risk items. But seeing your doctor regularly, getting a checkup for all men. And for most of us, we would say over the age of 45 in our community, um, yeah. we need to get checked up uh, regularly. And certainly many of our wives, our sisters, our aunts, um, the women in our lives are nudging us or we're getting a car from a healthcare provider or facility. So don't hesitate, the moment is now. We really want you to take this very seriously. Um, Victor has humbly shared an amazing story, but also a painful story that is full of fear and challenges and continued recovery even to this day. Um, and I'm just so thankful over the months that we've been talking and getting to sort of work through the best way to get your story out that you were willing to you know, come on and share this because while it's wonderful to talk about the music and it's been a journey that I enjoy living every time we talk about another uh, performance or group that you worked with, um, the show is actually called Music and Medicine because we feel that music can act as a bridge to really looking at our health. We're all going to uh, face various health uh, challenges. And if we can make that just a little bit more uh, palatable by really realizing that our musicians have um, lived lives of human too, and they have gone through um, these illnesses, like you mentioned, Charlie Wilson, and there have been others um, who have shared their stories also. Um, you don't need to be afraid anymore. You don't need to hide. You don't need to have too big an ego. So I, I really want to thank you, Victor, you know, from the bottom of my heart to not only be willing to share your story, but to be willing to help um, other people. Uh, where can we find more about your music and your life and the things that you're up to as we go through this process together? Yeah, well, I kind of came over to the youth side of this business. So I'm on Instagram, who I very rarely visit, but I'm on it and I go over there and I put up some stuff. I have a, and that's Instagram, Victor Orlando 7. And then I have um, the uh, YouTube, I have my own YouTube channel because throughout all of these years, I have done enough that there's a lot of videos out that people like and they want to see. So I have my own channel, my own Victor Orlando one for YouTube and people can go on and just get, I have a lot of people and it makes me feel good. A lot of people, man, I haven't seen you play in a long time. Well, if you want to see some of my stuff, go to YouTube, just sit up and have your own little concert because there's enough stuff on there that you can just get you some popcorn and just enjoy. And I finally ended up getting, and I have to go and deal with it tomorrow, is my own GoDaddy website. It's, it's due up next month. I have to go pay it. But I have a website, um, victororlandoshow.com. It's a website. And it has product, uh, merchandise, T-shirts that I have, my CD. Uh, I actually 
finally did something fun and crazy. I have my very own calendar. I got my 12-month Victor Orlando calendar. And people bought it. They bought it. So I'm getting ready, actually, next month to do a new one for 2022 and start the orders early for that. So all of that's over there for the 2021 calendar and my CD, my T-shirts. I did have hats and I did have COVID mask with Funjala across as the as the thing. And um, so I got those. And of course, you can find me on Facebook. And um, but I'm just out there just trying to push, promote and get all this stuff out there for people, because when it does break, I want there to be an outlet for people to buy it, see it, get it. I think I sent you a picture of the world map with blue circles around it showing those are the spots and the countries and the little out of the way Switzerland, Germany, Helsinki places. Somebody's playing my song in a living room. And that's like, I see, and that's, I think that's from Spotify. And I'm like, wow, some little guy, a girl is, is jamming to time to party or the passage at the spot in these countries that were circled in the blue. And I'm like, thank you, God. You you getting me, you getting me out there for people to hear. And I appreciate that. Sure. And I think that's a great place for us to end. I'm your host, Dr. Moshe Lewis. This has been Music and Medicine. Victor, set us up for the passage because that's what we'll take uh, everybody out with. Um, I love the story behind it. And it's also such a great um, piece of music. Uh, tell us about it and we'll, uh, we'll end it with that. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, the Passage and Time to Party were the two songs that I did during COVID period when I was sitting here being depressed, being going down, down, thinking, okay, all right, it's time to party. We need to party and do this. So I did that. And then after finishing that, I'm still sitting around and then I'm like, well, I'm hearing something. And I have a lot of African instruments in the house. And I picked up my kalimba and started. I like that. That's a nice little melody. So I'd go to bed think nothing of it but I'm laying in bed hearing that in my head and next thing I know I'm like okay the next night I'm hearing the same thing I'm like okay enough let's go to the keyboard let's get started so I shut the tv off and I just stood there and started finding rhythms on the keyboard and taping them on my phone and 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 um and and just finding all sorts of beats and then finding my other percussion stuff and adding it to it at the house. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Got to the studio and I set up the cajon and I started tracking. And I did 17 African instruments on that song or 17 percussion instruments on that song. That's all me. And then, excuse me, I did the horn lines. So I called in the band. I said, here's your horn lines for the passage. And here's what I want y'all to play. But when we're listening back to it, I'm, I'm making it an, an, an instrumental. And then God touched me, said, I got some lyrics for you. Wow. And I started sitting there 
we like to sing, we like to pray, we like to worship. This is our passage. Like that fit. I like that. I said, Chad, give me a pencil. Cause you know, I'm gonna forget this within the next three minutes. It's gonna be gone. Like, what did I say? What did, what was that line? Oh man. He gave me a pencil. I wrote it down. Next thing I'm sitting there and I wrote the verse. And then I brought Tony Grant in. Oh, well, I brought a choir in of four people from my church. Cause I wanted an African choir to sing this African spiritual travel song in their native tongue. Well, not their tongue, but in their native accent and American uh, words. And I called around and asked around that was gonna be too expensive. I said, well, dang, I just might as well go to Africa and just get four guys and bring them back. Then you talking about it's gonna cost this, that, and that down off of Crenshaw and it's gonna cost like, okay, you know what? They wasn't doing nothing before I got down there. Continue what you're doing since they're gonna be that expensive. Like you really getting that every day. <laughs> so I said, forget it. I'll get people at the church. I got four, got four, four people from the church and I went in, told them what I wanted them to sing. And then I had this lady that uh, was a vocal arranger. So she arranged the vocals to where it's bomb, 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 that type thing. And when you see it, it's the making of, the behind the scenes of making that, how we put that together. Yes. Then I took it to another one of my friends. And I said, I need you to graphic this up for me. And that's when we came up with the African graphics. I said, but I want some jumping, I want those jumping Africans in there. The guys that's with the poles and the canes that jump so high, I want them in there somewhere. And when it was all finished and said and done, it was just amazing with the vocals and the whole thing. That's on the video. I think the song I sent you was the remake, the remix that was for radio with where it opened up with the acapella of um, the choir singing that. And then I got Tony Grant to come in from Tyler Perry's TV show, Love Thy Neighbor. He's a vocalist. He's the lead singer with the group Chicago now. So he came in and he goes to church with me and he laid down that. And that tune just took on a whole nother vocal feel. And then everybody, I'm like, I want y'all all to be touched by this song because we all live a passage every day of where we're going in life. And if you stick to it, you'll make it to the end. Absolutely. I love it. What great words to go out on. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. It, the friendship is even more valuable, but the knowledge that you share is really um, worth its weight for so many people. And I hope that they feel touched and inspired to actually take action, especially our men. We want you to live. We want you to know what you have going on. We want you to stay healthy, but more importantly, we want you to be in charge of your health so that you can um, live and certainly be with us and be with your families, which are so important, not only at this time, but at all times. So yeah. thank you so much for your time, Victor. Thank you for this message. And most importantly, thanks so much for the music. We love it. Oh, no problem. And and as I go out, I will let my idol say, I want to thank you for having me on the show. And we will want to come back the next time and do some more for you if you like. Okay? <laughs> I love it.
Thanks so much. It's such a pleasure. This has been Music and Medicine with Victor Orlando. I'm your host, Dr. Moshe Lewis. Uh, Please continue to watch our show and you can find more about Victor Orlando on his website and certainly more about us on our website, Music and Medicine uh, YouTube. And we also now have our website by the same name, Music and Medicine. Thanks so much for joining us.